You know, it's a strange quirk of the Episcopal Church's lectionary, that is, those scriptures that we read each Sunday, that last week we celebrated the presentation of Jesus at the temple instead of hearing Matthew's Beatitudes. Now, we alone among the churches that follow the lectionary didn't get to hear about and reflect on what is probably Matthew's most famous scripture. And especially here at St. Peter's, because if you notice the scripture references that are all around, you'll see that they're all taken from the Gospel of Matthew. Those folks who designed and built this place some 27 years ago were clearly big fans of the evangelist and his ethic of do good in the world. Eight of the Beatitudes line the windows around the choir. If any place should prize the Beatitudes, it's St. Peter's, with our own ethic of doing work in the world. Now, there are nine of those in total, nine Beatitudes, four that speak to God's favor toward the oppressed, so remember, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the humiliated, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. And four speak to how we should live. We should be merciful, pure in heart, a peacemaker, and righteous even in the face of persecution. And the final beatitude, which interestingly doesn't have a window here, is a promise of blessing even in the face of lies and vilification in Jesus' name. And maybe you can see why the builders chose to leave that one out. Pam Holt, who comes to our 7.30 service as well as pretty much everything that goes on here in the life of the church, has come up with a tenth beatitude. Blessed are the flexible because they will bend but never break. And I think it shows the importance, how important it is to be adaptable in this sometimes crazy Christian community that we have here at St. Peter's. And now I can no longer read the beatitudes without thinking of Pam's generous additions. So when you see her, give her thanks. Now the backdrop, the reason I went into this the backdrop of, of these readings, the Beatitudes, helps clarify today's readings from Matthew. It's the second part of Jesus' discourse, also known as the Sermon on the Mount, and continues Jesus' instructions for how to live a life worthy of getting into the kingdom. He and the disciples have withdrawn from the crowds. They've gone up the mountain where Jesus can provide some more detailed instructions to the disciples who've chosen to follow him. Now, we're later told that the crowds follow, but, but I think these instructions are meant for the Jesus followers, and in this way also for us. He turns to them and tells them they are the salt of the earth and then the light of the world. Salt of the earth and light of the world. Now, we, we may think of salt as this ubiquitous spice found in our kitchens or diner countertops everywhere. And because of this, it's kind of hard to think of a salt metaphor as, as a call for greatness. But to the listeners of Matthew, salt would be thought of very differently. For the Jews, salt is a symbol of God's eternal covenant with Israel. Every Sabbath Eve, a piece of bread is, would be dunked into the salt as a reminder of that covenant. So to be the salt to the earth would be a living expression of God's covenant with us. Salt adds flavor in the right amount, and it enhances what we eat. Too much, and it becomes too sharp or inedible. And salt also preserves, extending the usefulness. Salt doesn't necessarily lose its taste, as it says in the Gospel, but it can become lost, especially when there's too little. It gets overwhelmed by the surrounding foods and becomes bland. I think in this, the disciples are being called to constantly challenge the powers that be, the status quo, lest they get lost in the blandness of our day-to-day -day human power struggles. 
And then they are called to be a light of the world, a beacon into darkness, not to put under a basket, but upon a light stand to illuminate the whole room. They are called to let their light shine before others so they may see their good works and give glory to the Father. Through these two powerful metaphors of salt and light, Jesus is kind of holding them to a higher standard. They are to challenge, to provoke in God's name. They are to shine light into the darkness, exposing injustice. Through Matthew's gospel and the Sermon on the Mount, we too, I think, are being called to be salt and to be light. The heart of the text comes a little later in verse 17 when Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have come not to abolish but to fulfill. To fulfill the scriptures, the entirety of the Hebrew Bible. Now this is another bold statement by Jesus in in Matthew's gospel. Remember a couple of weeks ago he already called himself the son of God. So what does he mean by fulfilling the law and the prophets? In his essay titled Introduction to the Sermon on the Mount, Bible scholar Daniel Harrington serves up three possible reasons. He suggests it could be a reference to, one, Jesus' obedience to the law and the prophets during his earthly life, so he's an example of how we should live. Two, Jesus' role in fulfilling the scriptures that's found throughout Matthew, for example, in the genealogies of the first and second chapter, or Matthew's frequent use of of Hebrew scripture references. And then three, the thrust of Jesus' teaching that's found in the great love commandment from which all the other commandments take their meaning. So that the way that Jesus fulfills the prophets in the scripture is in the love commandment. Love God, love your neighbor. And it's that third one that struck me, that Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets because of this command to love God and love neighbor above all else. Jesus' call to love then becomes the key to understanding the entire Sermon on the Mount. And this is important, because for the next two Sundays, we'll continue with the Sermon on the Mount, and it's going to get a little rough. Jesus sets a higher standard on many of the messier parts of being human. Anger, lust, divorce, adultery, swearing, turning the other cheek, loving your enemy. And finally, he ends with his call to be no less than perfect. I invite you to keep this call for love above all else in mind as as we go through these more challenging readings. You see, anything that divides us from God and from each other is bad. What unites us to God and each other, that which makes us righteous, is good. And this idea of righteousness, it helps explain the ending of today's reading. And Jesus called to be more righteous even than the scribes and the Pharisees. I think in Jesus' interpretation, the scribes and Pharisees have let their legalism and blind allegiance to the law take over, so much so that they don't see God in the person of Jesus. And they also let the law overwhelm what should be their absolute concern for the oppressed, the needy, the lame. Instead of helping them, they look for ways that the oppressed or the needy have broken a law, which justifies the scribes and Pharisees' self-righteous victim blame. Jesus calls his disciples salt of the earth and light of the world. Jesus calls us salt of the earth and light of the world. Like the disciples, we are to challenge the status quo and call out injustice and oppression, to not let the blandness of the human battle for dominance and power take our saltiness away. 
we are to shine our lights on the places of darkness in the world. As I mentioned a number of times, there seems to be more darkness lately. And despite my self-proclaimed fast from following the news these past few months, the news couldn't help but seep into my consciousness this past week. Impeachment votes and global pandemic, impertinent social gestures, torn up papers, and whatever that was that just happened in Iowa, the news was unavoidable. And once again, I found myself on the verge of losing that most precious commodity, hope. Far from Jesus' commands to love God and each other, we seem to be falling deeper and deeper into division and darkness from all sides. And I realized the source of my despair was the sense that there was nothing I could actually do. I have my faith practice, and we have this wonderful church family, but who are we against these swirling powers of darkness and discord? Matthew's gospel, you see, is above all a gospel of action, of doing good in the world. And here and now, I feel helpless. But then it changed. On Wednesday, Reverend Peggy shared one of the Franciscan priest Richard Rohr's reflection that had come out from the previous day. And, and in it, I found the start, found the beginning of hope, of something that I can actually do or maybe avoid doing to begin to repair something, possibly repairing myself. And it was from, in, this, in the reflection, quoted in it was one of his Center for Action and Contemplation's core principles. It goes, the best criticism of the bad is the practice of the better. Oppositional energy only creates more of the same. Let me repeat it. The best criticism of the bad is the practice of the better. If he says oppositional energy, I think it's better. Reactivity only creates more of the same. When you think about it, yeah, it just keeps getting messy. We're not born angry or hurtful. We learn those behaviors. And being reactive or being oppositional only makes things worse. It stirs up the negative. It adds to the mess. So in today's reading, Jesus holds his disciples and us to a higher standard. Let's call it a love standard. Anything that binds us closer to God and neighbor is good. We show good works to bring people to the kingdom of God. And a way that we do this is the practice of the better. We don't take that bait and respond to that divisive article or post, and it was probably created by Russians anyway. We don't scream at the television or the radio, and most importantly, most importantly, we don't judge those we disagree with. You see, judging just adds to the negativity. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a theologian most famous for his opposition to the Nazis in Germany, famously said, quote, judging others makes us blind, whereas love is illuminating. By judging others, we blind ourselves to our own evil and to the grace which others are just as entitled to as we are. The grace which others are just as entitled to as we are. And this is a man who is living in Nazi Germany. Love is illuminated. It shines into the darkness. We are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. Jesus is holding us to a higher standard, a love standard where we overcome division and judgment to come into right relationship with God and with our neighbor. And it starts with a simple practice, simple practice of being better. Because the best criticism of the bad is the practice of the better. Try it. It might change all our lives. Amen.